Hey guys, welcome to the Great Break Podcast, the podcast you don't want to hear. I'm your host, Brina Wells. I am a high priestess, healer, all of those great mystical things. And I'm here with a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, she's super powerful. She is a death doula into the shamanic arts. She also has next level gifts. And I don't say that lightly. I think she's an amazing human, amazing soul. I consider her a sister and I'm so excited to have her on the show today because I know with the past guests, we've kind of looked at, you know, the mindset and then we looked at another intuitive who learned to move into her intuitive gifts. But we've got somebody here who has had this her entire life and uh, really excited to have her on here with her powers and her gifts and all of those things to help you guys in your own spiritual awakening. Her name is Shara Halim. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Hallam, yeah. Hallam, Hallam. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna let you introduce yourself and just let's let's get into this, Shara. Welcome. Thank you, sis. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Shara Hallam, and um, I'm a death doula in practice, and I've been following the shamanic path for the last four years. And um, it all began with me reawakening to um, abilities that I had kind of turned away from many years ago and realizing that it wasn't something that I could just turn off. And in order to feel whole in myself again, I just had to acknowledge it and follow it wherever it was trying to lead me. And so that's what I've been doing. That's amazing. And I love how you're yeah. saying, you know, it's something that you can't avoid. Tell me, tell me about that. Cause similarly, I, I did the same thing. I think a, a lot of us do. We're like, I don't want to look at that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me, tell the, the viewers, what, how did you get into this? How did you know you had this your whole life? Like, tell us your story. Um, well, as a young child, of course, I think kids are naturally intuitive. I, I feel we all come into the world with something that connects us to the greater self outside of our physical being. And so as a kid, I saw and felt a lot of things. And um, growing up in West Indian culture, there was a lot of superstitious stories that I was told, and I didn't really know how to make sense of any of it as a child. I didn't even know it was really something different from what other people experienced at first. And probably around the age of seven, I connected with a story that I was supposed to do a book report on for Halloween, and I had to go look for a book about Halloween. And I found a book that actually started talking about a lot of the different symbols related to Halloween, like Dracula, goblins, witches, and the story of witches struck me really heavily. And I was like eight years old. And I guess what struck me was it was telling the reasoning of why women were called witches. And it talked a lot about Salem witch trials. And it hurt my heart at such a young age to know this, this reality of this history. And I immediately felt like I had some sort of connection to it as a child. But of course, with the superstitious upbringing, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable also admitting to myself why that connection was there. So I guess when I was 13, I got into a car accident. Um, and after that accident, I started seeing things a lot more, obviously. I started knowing things before they would happen. And about a year before the accident, there was a bit of a lead up. I had had a premonition about something that came true, very detailed. And that was the moment at like around 12 years of age where I realized, oh no, I can do these things. And it was literally an oh no, because I didn't know how to make it real for, for the life, for the world that I was living and being taught about. And at 13, after I got into that accident, um, it just became a lot more uh, obvious and I couldn't avoid what I was seeing anymore. I couldn't avoid things I heard. and. For a long time, I just quietly kept it. But every now and again, I would share with people what I would see. There were definitely people in my family who I think saw that something had shifted in me. And I would say things that would make them realize I could do certain things. But I still had such a discomfort with it. And um, I wouldn't fully admit to it. And then I just decided at about 19 years of age, I couldn't, I couldn't move through life like that. I had to basically shut it down. And I started living this very practical, analytical, data, factual lifestyle of 
that's not real. It's coincidence. It's just exhaustion. Um, these things aren't true. And I would just look for the, the fact-based explanations for the things that was still happening to me. And that's how I lived my life for about 20 years. <laughs> and I want to say it about four years ago, five years ago, um, something happened and it's like somebody flicked a switch on and pulled the, the switch plate out of the wall so that I couldn't take it off anymore. And things just started to flow right back in with a rush. And I was becoming sick. Like I started to have physical issues. And um, I just started to look for different ways to explain it until I finally realized going to the doctor and getting these checkups and doing all these things was not helping any of it. And finally, it ended up being um, looking for a spiritual uh, context to throw back into it because I, I could sense it all along. I was just turning away from it, which is interestingly how I found you. Um, <laughs> I started this, my, my, my initiation, my self-initiation into it was I bought a tarot deck and I had nothing, I had no idea how to read tarot, but I just wanted some kind of answers. And this is the only way I felt I could get answers without involving other people. <laughs> so I bought this deck and I'm trying to understand how to read it and I have no idea how to read it. And I just slowly started teaching myself with the tarot deck and picking it up quite naturally. And one of the things I would do is I would look at the YouTube videos and see how other readers read to give myself a little bit of extra context. And one day I came across you and there was a reading that you had done. And I was like, is she reading me? <laughs> because it was so spot on. Yeah. I was a, a bit in shock. And then I looked at your bio at the bottom and I was like, oh, wait, you're right in the city. Like it was kind of like kismet. And so that's when I, I booked my first um, reading with you. And that's how it, it, it sort of just kept expanding from that moment forward where I had opened up to allowing it in, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. And like, and that's fascinating, Char, because, um, you know, we, we mirror a lot in our own experiences. So, I mean, as you're telling me this story, and I've heard it before, it just reminds me of my own story, but I want our viewers to understand too, what exactly is this that you were seeing, like prior to your closing everything off, what was it that you were experiencing exactly I know you're talking about energies and things is it just a feeling are you seeing things are they touching you or you know and then when you reawoke again and it came rushing in what what is that like what is that experience like what exactly are you seeing what's the tangibility there that that you're experiencing um, well, as a young girl, it was definitely seeing um, energies around me move. And okay. my parents, they divorced when I was a young child, and they separated years before that. But um, they struggled a lot in their marriage. And one of the things, one of the first things I remember seeing was the energy that would evolve around them when they would butt heads. I felt like, I used to say to myself, I wonder why it's always going to rain whenever my parents have an argument. It felt like everything grew dim and I would see the dimness actually move around. I would see it move off of them and, wow. and I would feel it touch me. And it's kind of a visually and emotionally is something that you, you don't know how to logic as a, even as a child, yeah. you know, and I was about three when this started happening, but I started noticing a lot in my environment, the same sort of things I would see people, I would say, Hey, I would, you know, question who that person was, or I would question something that moved in front of me and the people around me would be like, what are you talking about? And I started to slowly understand without it actually being um, fully conversed about that I was seeing something that other people weren't exactly seeing. Um, sometimes it would be a full voice saying something to me. And sometimes it was premonitions. Um, I think one of the earliest things I realized I was able to do was premonition death in others um, or an oncoming death. And the first time that happened was about the year before the car accident that I was in, the person that died in our accident, I knew when I was being told a year before that they were going to go. And I was really upset. I was really angry. I'm like, why are you telling me that? And a part of me just felt like something was wrong with me. Because in my mind, I was like, why would you say that? And when I was young, my grandfather used to say to me, don't ever think a bad thought or else you bring it to life. Um, so in my head, when this thought started coming through, 
I was like, stop it, stop it, because you, I don't want that. And I couldn't even understand how it would happen. This person was a very young person. It made no sense to me. And when I got into that accident, um, when I woke up in the hospital, I knew they weren't there, but they didn't tell me for another three days that the person had died in the accident. Mm. So it was very, um, it was very much being able to see certain things. Um, after the accident, I actually just started seeing people um, around me. Like they were showing up. They weren't fully detailed visibly, but I could see the figures of people all the time in certain rooms connected to certain people. And that's when I kind of fully acknowledged that this was a thing that was a part of who I was. And I kind of did my best to work with it as best as I could at that age, which was to speak, I guess, mentally to those things, ask them to leave me alone, really, was what I was trying to do. <laughs> right. And then sometimes it was fully about interacting with them and saying, okay, what, why are you here? What do you want? And just trying to understand, but it was all very quiet. It was all very silent happening within me. The few things that I told to different family members, um, they would ask some questions to try and understand. And I do think some of my family members did believe that I was seeing what I was seeing. And others would try to dismiss it and say, you know what, Chara, that's just your imagination. Right. You know, you just need to slough it off. Um, but I did have an uncle when I was a child who um, was going through a lot, he suffered from uh, deep depression. And I, I really loved being around him. Um, and I just remember him one day looking at me and, and I think I told you the story he said to me, uh, out of the blue, he just said, you know, the devil watches you. And I'm like, the what does what? I'm like, why would you say that? Yeah. It was such a, a triggering thing. And then he kind of just, it, it was like he was in a little trance and he snapped out of it. And he's like, don't worry, you're a good girl. He can't do anything to you. And he gave it a, a gender. He gave it a placement where it stood beside me. And I'm like, why? But the, the, the scariest part of that comment was that I always felt this thing watching me. And I didn't know, I didn't ever call it the devil or anything like that. I didn't really want to give it a name. But when he said it to me, I, I, I got really scared that a part of me that I was really trying to hide was becoming obvious to others. Mm -hmm. And when you say about these different energies that you're seeing now, first, first, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the culture aspect because we, we share the same culture, right? The yeah. Caribbean culture. And so yeah. when you're saying, um, you know, if you don't speak it to it in, in, into existence, it doesn't, it doesn't become real. And right. my mother used to say that all the time, you know, don't talk, don't say it. You yeah. don't believe it. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. all right. You know? And, um, so how, first of all, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about the culture a little bit. Do you believe in our culture that there's something there that most of us have some type of predisposed DNA or something like that? Because I, I know for me and my guy new culture, like my mom's side, they're all like witches, you know, they just don't know, like they cackle when they get together. I don't know what it's like with your family, you know, do you see that in your family as well with that? Do you think there's something in our DNA? Absolutely. Um, yeah. The more I learned about also the my lineage, the mix of cultures and spiritual practices and belief systems, especially with Guyana being a country where it was colonized and so many different people from all over the world were sort of brought to one place and had to learn how to interact with each other. Right. Um, because I come from a, a a lineage that is very, very mixed with a lot of those different cultures. Uh, the thing that I realized was that this was kind of inherent and it wasn't something that I could avoid. And all, all it really allowed me to understand was that this wasn't necessarily something that I just had, but it did make me realize how uncomfortable the rest of my family, who I did suspect could do these things would talk about it. Um, my grandmother who passed away a few years ago, they used to have this name for her. They used to call her a black tongue. And I didn't understand what this term meant. And I one day just asked her about it. And I said, grandma, why do they call you a black tongue? And she said, because women just talk, women just tell the truth. And so it was as though <laughs> she was saying she had a premonitionary tongue. And I would hear people, I, I once heard somebody say, don't talk about Sister Kai because she got a black tongue. So <laughs> they didn't want her to tell them something before it's time kind of kind of situation and 
it, that's one of the, that was one of the things that made me realize, oh, this is something that's been passed on to me from somewhere. Right. And then just remembering the stories I was told as a child from my aunts, from my grandparents, from um, cousins and stuff. Everybody kind of had an experience that could not be logically explained that would be quote unquote considered supernatural. And, but they would tell the story and then, and then pretend it never happened, but these stories were consistent. Right. So I do think the lineage inherently did know itself through everybody and, and through me and that I got it from somewhere. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. That's why I think we're sisters. We even kind of like dressed alike today without even knowing. Yeah. About it. yeah. <laughs> it's like the psychic thing going on. Yeah. But I also wanted to bring up in regards to that, like with our culture and whatnot, I know it may seem a little, you know, different for those who are not in the Caribbean culture, right? Um, in North America and, and, and who really are just waking up to this kind of energy right now. There's a lot of stuff in the Caribbean that can be somewhat dark. And we hear about that too. You know, they talk about black magic and dark and dark work and spell work and things like that. Now, I know I've never really had an issue with the dark. It's always come at me that I've had to kind of, spirit just kind of threw me in there. God just kind of threw me in there that I had to learn how to deal with it right away. Like there was no like easing into it. And I know similarly, you've had some experiences as well. And yeah. so I would love to hear how you link that with our culture, with, with the darkness of that, Do you, and, and how you're able to work in the shadows, like how you're able to, sorry, I'm getting messages here and I'm trying to shoot them away. Um, uh, how you're able to, yeah, what you see and how that's linked to your culture and, and just kind of flow with that because. I think it's, I think it would be interesting for others to hear um, who don't have those experiences. And, and they're also afraid of opening up because of these right. darker things too, right? Right. Well, I mean, from the, a lot of the stories I was told as a child, um, one, of the, one of the spiritual um, practices that was silently continued to be practiced in Guyana, and I'm sure you know, is Obia, which is kind of like a... a Kind of like voodoo, basically. But the thing I started to understand and learn more and more about Obi over time was um, it came from a lot of the African spiritual diaspora. So it was a uh, their embodiment of spiritual practice, balancing light and dark. Um, so from my understanding, it was an acknowledgement of dark energy being as active and as present um, in in their life as light energy and high by high what we would call high vibrational energy but obia was considered um more of like uh, a demonic voodoo dark practice and i'm not sure i believe that that's entirely what obia was about because with colonization and christianization of course took over in guyana as well um those beliefs were re-explained to a lot of those cultures as something else other than what they were taught it was. And I guess, you know, when you're, when something is changing around you so heavily, a part of you has to find a way to integrate it. So I think the, some of the belief systems about Obia um, got reintegrated as a type of spiritual work or practice that was only for the dark or for these heavier vibrational energies that people felt really adverse to acknowledging once Christianity really started to settle in and become a part of the major belief system. So for me, I had an inkling as a child when I'd hear these stories that there wasn't an entire truth about how this type of practice was being explained, especially in the sense that some of my family would talk about other people who kind of went to Obia people in Guyana to have certain things done for them. And I'm like, well, if you think it's so dark, why, why would, why would you ever do it? So a part of me started to understand it was just something that maybe as culture evolved over time, as things changed, people found, uh, people found more hidden ways to be able to still acknowledge it. And that's the way I looked at it growing up. Um, This was just another type of practice that had a very specific understanding of the teaching that I truly wanted to understand more for myself as well. 
and that it was probably an important part of who I was right now in the present because it, little things had been passed down at least at the, at the very least through stories. And if those stories continued, then they had some kind of relevance to what was going on around me. So I didn't want to ever dismiss that the, my history, my lineage has always been important to me, understanding it, knowing it, learning about it. So even if it was darker or heavier and explained to me in that way, I still wanted to know. I still wanted to understand. And I think one of the reasons was it gave me context for why I was the way I was, why I was able to do the things I was able to do. Right. Especially going into those dark places and in, in yeah. the shadow, which I, I have found um, not many people can do that. You're one of few that that can definitely go into those dark places. So let's talk a little bit about about that. You want to get into the into the dark yeah, stuff sure. a little bit? Yeah. Um, um, I know you mentioned your uncle was saying, but the the devil watches you. Yeah. So so. Um, so he went through a, quite a, a difficult time in his life. And towards right. the end of his life, he, he was a diabetic. I used to help him take his insulin. There were things about mm -hmm. growing up that I think people would be adverse to and I wasn't. My dad worked um, in electron microscopy, but in his earlier days in Guyana, he worked, uh, did a lot of postmortems in Guyana at the morgue. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up a lot around a lot of um, exposure to death, the imagery of even violent death and understanding the spiritual context. My dad was very, very um, impactful in my life and helping me be aware of those things because he himself always had a curiosity to understand, which is probably why he went into his line of work. But um, when my uncle made that statement, it kind of gave me uh, a validation that the darkness that I did see as a child when my parents would fight, this thing that I would always feel around me was real and that I could actually speak to it. And um, a part of my you know, journey and what I think has inherently affected my experience was I was abused as a child um, by family members and I didn't know how to understand those things without feeling a sense of anger and just distaste, mm -hmm. a visceral disconnect with everything around me. And something about the dark energies that I acknowledged gave me a better understanding of how to work with it, as opposed to letting it do something else to my psychology of how to interact with people in the world. The, the events, the circumstances themselves made me very, very distrustful of people as a child. But to be distrustful of the adults around you, of every adult because of the, you know, the actions of a singular person or two um, doesn't really work for how you can thrive in the world. And I understood that through the darker energies that I was feeling, it, it was almost as though I was being encouraged to see how to acknowledge this energy as uh, a reformation of my self-awareness, of my strength, of determination and perseverance through the difficult circumstance I had experienced. And I don't, I don't think that's an easy thing to describe or to help people understand. Most people will say, well, if that happened to me, I would this, that. And I understand why people go down that path. And I did go down that path. I was angry for a long time right. um, until recognizing that if those darker energies were even present in those moments, they were showing me that I could still overcome them, surpass them. And you and work with them in a way that made me stronger, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. So I, you know, I would see this dark, I started seeing the dark energy that my uncle had called out to me. Like it started to develop more characteristics over time. And at first I was very, very scared when that happened. And then I said, okay, um, what do you want? And that's when I started the interactive um, acknowledgement. And it's funny, this is where the conversations occurred within me that are you going to let that thing and that person make you this angry? Are you going to let what that person did make you angry at everybody? That's what that conversation was with that energy. And this is at the age of seven. You know, wow. these wow, are Tara. much bigger psychological ideas as, as an adult that I've come to understand. But I was having those conversations with 
something at seven years old. And it was actually calming down this kind of resentful energy that I could feel building inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I started to appreciate what that dark energy was trying to do for me. I didn't necessarily see that dark energy as trying to change me into a bad person as much as it was trying to give me awareness of what was actually developing within me based on my awareness of the circumstances that had occurred. That's definitely a shamanic path right there to be able to befriend those shadows. And at such a young age too, to befriend those shadows, to understand what they're trying to show you, to alleviate and overcome those shadows so that you can actually sit with other individuals today and sit with them because you're, yeah. you're comfortable in it, right? Definitely. And, and so how was it coming into your path and your calling? How, how do you see how everything was led to this point now? Um, do you have a greater understanding of where you're moving into? Oh, definitely. Um, well, death, it, interestingly enough, death was always something I was fascinated by. Um, and I do have my dad to thank for some of that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I think even some of my friends growing up, some of my family thought it was kind of odd that I was a little bit into the morbidity of certain things. Um, there was an incident when I was a very young child, again, around the age of seven. I think a lot of stuff happened to me at the age of seven. Everything happened to me at eight. That's so yeah. weird. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. Maybe there was some something that is meant to happen at that age. Maybe there's an opening of the mind and the, you know, the soul at that age. I don't know. But um, I remember finding this dead mouse by the train tracks and seeing how this thing passed away. And I was with um, a family member of mine who's, um, she's my aunt, but she's close in age to me. We're a year and a half apart. And she even retells this story to me when I talk to this stuff about her. She's like, I remember you picking up that mouse and saying, he doesn't want to, you know, stay here. We have to bury him. We have to pray for him. And I literally took it away from where it died because I know it didn't like dying there. It was a very odd thing. I just came across it and I picked it up in my bare hands and I went somewhere else and I said a prayer for it and buried it under some rocks. And I said, okay, now go easily, go peacefully. Cause I felt like it was still there. Something of its energy was there and it was uncomfortable. I don't know why I felt this, but what it eventually just evolved into was me. Again, I started premonitioning deaths. Um, I didn't like that at all. And I wanted to understand why this was a specific thing that I could see. Uh, and then even in the funerary processes, the different rituals from the different, you know, cultural and religious practices of different family sides of my family, I loved the, the death process, the appreciative aspect of burial or of cremation or a prayer, even, you know, all of it was so beautiful to me. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I think people around me are like, you're just weird. Man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it's kind of awesome. So when I started on this path, um, I know I did work with you initially in the beginning, you started to help me open up to working with my gifts and understanding how to listen to them better so that I could walk with them. And then I serendipitously fell upon the shamanic practices and teachings. Um, and I didn't mean to. I was just thinking I was going to be learning some interesting stuff. (laughs) And it ended up being an initiation that bonded me with the other four women that were a part of it. And throughout that, it was a four month process. And throughout throughout that initiation, um, my buckle who initiated me said to me, Shar, I think you are meant to work in the underworld. I think your energy is for darker energy. And I looked at her kind of oddly and she's like, I think you're just, you know how to do that. She said, I see a past life. And you had told me this as well. She said, I see a past life where you helped people transition out of this one and to the next or the next phase of what the soul's journey was. And you had said that to me as well about a life that you felt that you saw me having done this work. And I was like, okay. And it it, it made sense but I just didn't know how to practically make it something to work with. And slowly after the shamanism, um, I ended up going into a mediumship program to learn how to work with my mediumship gifts. And the woman that I worked with, my mentor there, she said to me, you know, you'd probably make a great death doula. 
And I said, what is that? And she explained to me what death doulaship was and the similarity, you know, between a midwife doula birthing and death. It's basically one offers support to transition into the world, right. one offers support to transition out. And that just made absolute sense to me because ironically, um, about a year before I worked with this medium, uh, I was looking up trying to become a doula, a birthing doula. Interesting. And then COVID hit and it, you know, nothing made sense. So I did this, um, I, I thought about it for about a year. And then I connected with the mentor who I'm currently working with. And this is the path I've been slowly led to. And the more I do the work and learning how to support people through dying and incorporating even some of my mediumship skills into it post-death as a support, I more and more see how the trickle effect was always happening for me from this initial intrigue and fascination and admiration for death to now actually trying to find a practical way to implement it into other people's lives and maybe help them towards um, understanding something we ultimately all get to at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to let that sit for a little bit because we are about halfway through now, which is like one, one, one that we, <laughs> nice. <laughs> when I looked at the time, um, not that we've been on here, but you know, we had a little technology problems before, but we were, we've been on for about 30 minutes. So we're going to take a little break and we're going to be right back guys with Shara. And we're going to talk more about her path and how she's going to, change things on this planet in some really great ways we'll be right back guys thanks hey guys this is a little break that i throw in here to just kind of amp up the guests on the show and what can i say about shara i mean there's two major psychics that i go to one that you heard from uh the last the previous show but shara is different in the sense that um she's become more of a sister to me because you know we see very similarly so Check her out, especially if you are fearing opening up or working with darkness, or if you are looking into working with somebody who works as a death doula, meaning helping people cross over or any type of shamanic practices. She is trustworthy. She is deep and such a beautiful soul in the way that she can explain what she sees. So. Again, take a look at Shara. She's just starting out, but she's great with her readings and any practices that she puts forward spiritually because she's truly one of the highly awakened ones here on the planet at this time. And yeah, then there is me. Um, you guys know about me and take a look at my website and all of those things. But most importantly, if you want to be part of the show, you had a great break awakening you know you don't have to be a psychic or a healer or anything you can simply just come on and share your story of how you woke up from the illusions that we have been told and conditioned in our world and what you've recognized in your own spirit and if that's something you'd really like to do take a look at the website you can email me and again if you want to work with me Take a look at my website, RainaWells.com. You can read my testimonials. All the info is there. Read my blog post. Follow me on YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. And also, please take a look at uh, Shara's stuff as well. So, yeah, that's that. Let's get back to the show, you guys. So much love. This is the Great Break Podcast, a podcast you don't want to hear. I'm here with Shara, who is a death doula and into the shamanic arts. And we're going to just jump right back into this and get going into what Shara has to offer, what she's been doing, uh, what her talents are, her skills, and uh, we're going to just get right back into it, Shara. So tell us, tell the viewers, what is it that you're doing, the, the death duo or the, the readings? I know you do readings and tarot and whatnot, and uh, how do you see yourself in your gifts and providing for others? Uh, well, so tarot evolved quite naturally. Like I said, initially, it was something I just picked up for myself to give myself a little bit of greater understanding and the only way I could uh, think to do. And it eventually became something that I really felt connected to. So I've been doing readings for people for about a year and a half now. And 
um, I've been I've been working with tarot for the last four years, but more consistently in the last year and a half, especially throughout COVID, I find a lot of people needed a bit of um, grounding from an alternative perspective. And so that's where the readings have really flourished for me. And uh, the death doulaship is something that is the next uh, expansion of this connection to trying and understanding the self, really. Um, everything that I think I've gone through is about being able to put a lens on our own reality and understand it confidently from our own perspective. Because I think one of the things that happens with people is they experience certain things and because the world around them doesn't give them uh, a way to articulate it or have real conversations about it, we start to develop these feelings of inadequacy and self-consciousness about what it is we naturally understand and know of ourselves. Okay. So uh, the, death, the death doula practice is about understanding how we can connect to this idea of death, how to be there in the moment for those who are going to be going through it before us how to understand their their experience from their perspective, how to help educate people to open themselves up to, to being okay to talking about death even. Because I know even in our culture, um, part of the upbringing is, you know, don't talk about it until it happens. That's the only time yeah. you really need to. And I, I believe it's bigger than that. I've been taught that it's bigger than yeah. that. And I see how people get more comfortable when they're allowed to express what their, their yeah. fears and fascinations are. So the death doulaship practice for me is partly about educating. It's partly about teaching people how to care for their death and dying, uh, the dead, the postmortem and um, pre-death care. Right. And also about helping people to understand um, uh, the mediumship is something I really want to incorporate into it actually, uh, because it's something I've been doing my whole entire life. And I feel like our bodies are not the only aspect of our energetic existence. I think we exist beyond our physical selves. So I think even in that transition piece, our energetic self is also looking for support. And that is something I want people to, if they're open to it, understand that you can help those connected to you go through that and you can go through it with them and it can give you a greater awareness and understanding of your place here in this body while you're here in the physical. So. Um, that's what the work is looking like for me right now. That is brilliant. It's, that's truly amazing. And then it can also, as you're saying, that piece could also help people who are non-believers, maybe in the other world, you know, in other dimensions in the spirit world to open themselves because it's somebody they, they care about that, right. you know, and, and that ease to talk about, oh, I dreamt about grandma last night, or I dreamt about, you know, oh, she's talking to me and making that okay which I, I think is amazing and um like you said this has been ingrained in you for you know this is how you were born this is how yeah how you were made and uh it's interesting because I see other uh you know people come into through their own awakening process they come into mediumship or they come into psychic readings and tarot readings and the mysticism and even shaman shamanism and whatnot uh through a learning process Whereas you didn't really have to learn, you know, and where do you see that changing in our world with, you know, those that come from a genetically based um, gift, a gift, you know, that right. it's been, and, and I believe we all have these gifts on some levels, but there are certain DNAs, I believe, like yourself can go into some really, you know, otherworldly and dense areas that are only reserved for those that have practiced in that lineage, you know, for, for quite some time. So right. tell me what you think about that and about um, the gifts that you've been bestowed through your lineage and how you see that being incorporated in your work. So I, I do believe everybody has something intuitive that they come into this world with. Like I said, I don't Definitely. think we are just our physical selves. So I think we all have something. But there are definitely cultures and um, ethnic groups who've opened themselves up more expansively to that awareness. And I think you see that in indigenous tribes, in um, ancient African tribes and ancient, um, even ancient European tribes, you know, there was an inherent awareness and acknowledgement of their connection to the self 
outside of the physical self. You can see this through archaeological digs and the type of ritual practices and and tools they left behind. Um, I think when certain people know what their lineage is already, there's already some sort of genetic inherent understanding of where they come from and how much bigger the picture of existence is and their place in it. So I think there are people who maybe automatically have that connection and it's the world as we, at least in North America know it, it conditions us to not necessarily depend on those older practices or beliefs because It doesn't work with this current system of, you know, do and get things done and always be striving for the next goal, the next attainment. Um, It's a bit of a a disconnect with this greater understanding that I am finding a lot of people around me who know what their lineage is, their older ancestral lineage. They're feeling this disconnect on a very base cellular level and they don't understand why. I've definitely met people who they feel bad that they don't know their mother tongue, for example, even though generations of their family have been here speaking English, or they feel a sense of self-consciousness over the fact that they don't like their, their, the foods of their ethnic background, right? Or the the rituals and and spiritual practices that they know um, their grandparents or whatever practice, they feel like they don't have that full understanding because they themselves haven't been encouraged or taught to practice it. So the fact that some people have that inherent awareness that they are disconnected tells me that there is a want to reconnect. There's a desire. And I think it's important to allow people to feel comfortable in that awareness. Um, I don't think you should ever feel disconnected from a part of yourself that knows it belongs to something else. Even if everything around you is telling you to go in a different direction, a big part of even being self-aware and being spiritual, whichever way you like to term it, label it, is acknowledging that what you feel is real. And it's very much real because it is meant to tell you something that you need to learn for yourself and about yourself. So um, a lot of the work that I'm doing, a lot of my own development of my abilities and, and acknowledgement of my skills has been about reconnecting to this part of myself that's kind of always existed. And I just didn't have any foundation or basis to dive into it as much as I wanted to. And so I think a part of this path is me carving that way for myself to reconnect. And in doing that, I'm finding more and more people that also want to do that, which is so amazing and awesome. It makes you feel less alone than you initially did. And it makes me just understand that we all have a connective understanding of these things, regardless of whether we talk about them or not. So the more that I can open up to it and talk about it, the more I give other people the permission to do that for themselves as well. Well, I can say that you have definitely helped me with my own, you know, Guyanese culture and the Caribbean <laughs> culture, because I grew up very, you know, in the system. And yeah. I remember, you know, loving Indian music and dancing when I was a kid. And my mom would say, you know, as I got older, you know, you know, listen to Indian, good Chutney music, what's wrong with you? You know, and I'm like, ah, you know, and I, I pushed that aside so I could fit in to the system. And like you said, it's that disconnect that we continuously long for. And I truly believe I probably wouldn't have met you until I reconnected to that piece of, of myself. So yeah. thank you. Thank yes, you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And I'm seeing that a lot as well with with people reconnecting to their ancestry line, reconnecting to their gifts, and then realizing that they do have um, otherworldly talents and, and things like that. So talk to me about some of your otherworldly talents and how you are serving humanity in that regard. Uh, okay, so I I do think mediumship is one of the major yeah. Tell us a good story me. about a mediumship. Let's 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 go into some details. Okay. Um, well, yeah. let's see. What can I what can I go into? Um, Everyone looks a good ghost story. story. A little jumpy. A good story. ghost. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, as a child, um, and actually, mediumship is is a lot more expensive than even I initially thought. It's not just connecting with 
um, what lived, who lived before us, but what also lived before us. And um, one of my deeper mediumship connections was in the passing of this person from the car accident. And what I remember so clearly was that my connection to this person before this accident was very silent. So we had a unspoken bond is what I would say. Um, but it was really sweet. It was very comfortable. So it was something I never questioned. So when I was being told that this person was leaving, I was specifically being told that they were going back to their country and that they were leaving. And I said, well, why are they leaving? And this energy said to me, no, they're leaving for good. And I slowly started to understand that they were dying. And I was very, very angry. So for a year, I silently lived hearing this over and over again. This person is going back to their country wow. and they're dying. And I just was like, that makes absolutely no sense. There's no reason for this person to die. So I went on this family vacation that I used to go on every year. And um, this particular year, uh, every time we went down to see this, this family in the States, they, they would always throw these parties. It was just a good time the entire time we were there. And one night they were throwing a party for this individual because it was their birthday. And I had my first premonition play itself out in real time with this individual wow. that night. Um, I basically saw an interaction with them occur. And in my head, I was 12. They had just turned 19. I was 12 and I was thinking to myself, this is ridiculous because it literally plays like a little movie reel in the mind, right? And I'm thinking to myself, why, why am I thinking this? Why am I seeing this? And probably 20 minutes passed and everything I saw to the detail started to play out. And to the point where I knew what they were going to say and do before they actually did it. Wow. And this overwhelming fear built up in me. And it was right after that vacation when I came home where I started hearing that they were leaving and they were going to die. And because this premonition came true that night, and then I came back home and started hearing it. A part of me couldn't deny that what I was being told was true, but I was really angry. I did not want it to be true. So when I went down the following year and I saw this person was fully alive, healthy and thriving, I'm like, yes, you're fine. It's just me. I'm delusional. And we were there for about a week and a half going on two weeks. And one night um, I used to take this vacation with my aunt and uncle. They allowed all of us, the younger group of kids to go out without adult supervision because the two older kids were, um, he at that point had just turned 20 and um, his girlfriend was 17. Um, and so they were in charge of us. His girlfriend is actually my uncle's niece. She's the family link. Um, we went, we had a good time. We went mini golfing. And um, on the way home, when we were getting back in the car, um, one of the one of the people that was also there, one of the cousins, these aren't blood cousins <laughs> related. Right, right, right. Um, I knew he had a crush on me and he and the other cousin were fighting about who should sit in the middle back seat of the car. And I thought to myself, well, if I say to him, maybe I'll take the back seat or you take the back seat, maybe this argument will come to a close because people always kind of would say in front of me, oh, you know, he has a crush on you. So I just turned to him right. and I said, hey, could you sit in the middle seat that way? I'll sit beside you on one side and she sits beside you on the other side. And at the very last minute, it's probably like a one minute conversation. He, he took the middle seat and I was actually going to take the middle seat. I just wanted to see if he would change his mind as quickly because I asked. When he took the middle seat, we got into the car right away and we drove and we got into a major, major car accident. Mm. And he survived because he was a bit of a thicker guy. And he got caught between the two front seats. He got oh, stuck yeah. there. I was all of maybe 82 pounds soaking wet at that age. So yeah. if I had been in that middle seat, I would have gone flying out. You would have been gone. The, the windshield yeah. or head, head first into the dashboard. They said the reason Ooh. he survived was because he got stuck. And so that was the first inkling. And I don't know what, what kind of, there was something in my ear when he was having this argument with the other cousin that said, ask him, ask him to take the seat don't take the seat because I was, right. I had actually said, I'll just sit in the middle seat. And then I'm like, but Hey, what if you do? So it was like this, mm. this voice, this, there's always somebody there saying, no, 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 this is what you got to do. And then when I woke up in the car, I was going in and out of consciousness. And every time I went 
I blacked out. I was in this dark space. And I know people talk about the white light, the tunnel. That's not what I envisioned or saw. I was right. seeing a space where I was being given choices. And I had to decide which way to go. But I wasn't afraid when I was blacked out in this space. I was like, what am I doing here? And every time I woke up again, I was in the car. And I realized that our driver, I'm like, he's leaving. In the car, I'm sitting there. My face is banged up. My jaw literally broke and fell on my shoulder. Wow. And, um, but I could see him. It's almost like I could see him leaving the driver. And every time I went back to this dark space, these choices I was being given, I was closer to one choice than I was to the other two. And I was hearing this grinding noise every time I blacked out. And when I finally woke up, probably the third time, I realized the grinding noise was the jaws of life trying to pull us out of the car. But every time I woke up, I was closer and closer to the jaws of life. I was being pulled back into my body every single time even though I was seeing these other two kind of options of where to go and what to do. So it was like an interesting thing. And I didn't know how to articulate that to anybody, but that's where I was going in and out. And then when I woke up um, again, fully, I was in the ER, I was on a a board and I knew he wasn't there anymore. Our driver, Um, I could feel that he was gone and I blacked out again. And when I woke up again, my aunt and uncle were there and I asked them, name by name, each person in the car, where's this person, where's that person, where's that person? They told me each hospital, each one was at. And when I got to his name, they said, he's fine. It's okay. I need you to go back and rest Mm. um, because I was still waiting to be assessed. Um, And for the next two days, I asked for each one of them by name. And every time they got to him, they're like, he's fine. And a part of me really wanted to believe that he was fine, that maybe he survived everything. But I was like, I know you're lying. And on the third day, when I woke up in the hospital and I asked, they said, Shar, he died in the accident. And today his, his body's on a plane back to his country. And so everything I'd been hearing the year before is true. He was going back to his country and he was leaving and he was dying. And that was like, for me, in terms of mediumship, that was the moment I realized that somebody was informing me for the last yeah. year and a half about what I was going to have to address at some point Mm -hmm. and I remember when when my aunt finally said he was on his he was on a plane his body was on the way back I'm like why why did you tell me that I didn't want to know but I think the reason I was told it beforehand is because I had to have my jaw wired shut and I'm a very anxiety-ridden person I think I was being prepped so that I wouldn't go into a heavy state of panic when I did finally find out Um, and I cried not because he was gone, but because I already knew he was gone. I was crying for myself and for him. I was crying that this was something I was being given full awareness of that. There was something there telling me. And in the hospital, a little girl came into my room and I've asked everybody about this little girl. She came when nobody else was around. Everybody that looked at me in the hospital, my face was so banged up. I was so swollen. I did not have my face. And everybody I could see when they looked at me had this like little pullback from what I looked like. And I woke up one day and this little girl was looking at me. And she was like, I was waiting for you to wake up. She had no reaction to my face. And I said, what? I was high on morphine too. So I'm like, wow. (laughs) Um, And she's like, do you want to go play? And I was like, I don't think I can. She's like, are you sure? And I said, she's like, she asked me my name. I said, what's your name? What are you doing here? She's like, I'm sick. I I think she said she had cancer or something. She's like, and I had to come back. And I was like, okay. And so she left the room and she came back to see me one other time. And I asked the nurse in my room, I said, who's the little girl? And she's like, what little girl? I said, she was in the room. And I was like, why did they just let this little girl run around in all these rooms? But this is a children's hospital as well, right? So there are kids everywhere. And she's like, I don't know what little girl you're talking about. She's like, maybe one of the kids came out of their rooms and came into your room. I'm like, okay. I said, she asked me to go play with her outside. And the nurse said to me, oh, there's a play area you can go to if you want. I didn't know anything about the hospital, so out of it. And I was like, okay. And she's like, I don't know what little girl you're talking about. So then I asked like my aunt, my uncle, I'm like, do you see this little girl running around? 
And they're like, I don't know who you're talking about. So I don't know if this little girl is real or not. But the more I thought about this time at by, I feel like she was somebody else yeah. who that was her last place. And it, it wasn't the fact that she was there and nobody else saw her. It was the fact that when I woke up, she was just staring at me at like saying, and she literally said, I was waiting for you to wake up. Right. And those words have like stuck in my head. Like, wake up, girl. Wake up. Yeah. See it. And so she's always been like a part of that realization. And I think she was one of the first very, very clear energies that I feel like I saw mm. that was telling me what was coming now. Um, so that's my little ghost story. I can't prove or disprove that she was actually there, unfortunately, to validate it, but I don't feel like she was physically there for anybody else to see. I think well, she, she was told just you about there the, for me. the playground. You would have known yeah, about that. Yeah, right? I think so. that yeah, things that nobody was telling me about. And I was like, okay. And just the way she kind of looked at me without fear. Right. When everybody else, every time I looked in people's faces, I could see in their eyes how sad they were at what I looked like. It was scary. Um and my mom still talks about how triggering it was for her to see me like that. I I can't even just just hearing you talk about that and the premonition and how you're able to get such detail. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. I I I've seen you in action. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, wow, Shara, we're we're coming to the end of this, but I you know before we close off, I I want you to just maybe tell everyone out there about what you're going to be offering the world and how you see yourself with this media, these amazing gifts that you have, the mediumship and the death doula and what kind of service do you want to provide to humanity to help leverage those in their own healing journey? Cause there's, there's, you know, a lot of shifts and changes that are happening and people are waking up. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my ultimate goal is to allow people to be open inherently to their own self-awareness and their own gifts. I do truly believe everybody has something that they can work with. Um, death is the, the, the mode, the modality that I will be using, I think specifically to do that. So death support and um, tarot reading for me is also a very foundational basis to helping people get um, a bit of a broader perspective of self. Um, the one thing I think that's great about tarot is not that it's me telling somebody something that they don't know. It's me offering information to them that they do know, but maybe they haven't been given permission or they haven't allowed themselves the permission to be aware of. So right. these are the two ways that I think I want to help everybody to understand what they innately have to offer to the connectedness of everybody. I really do believe in this greater sense of love and connection. I know it sounds like a light and love, you know, <laughs> no, but, it's a light love it's thing, but really, I think, um, I think we disconnect because we first disconnect from ourselves. And that's where our disconnections have with everybody else from the planet. Um, I've changed the way I look at how I eat, how I treat insects outside my connection to earth. I told you before, I used to be allergic to the sun. I used to break out in rashes to grass. Oh, yeah. 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 It was you who forced me to go lay in the grass, lie in the sun. And you said, breathe everything you're afraid of back to Gaia, breathe it back into the earth. And I have not had allergic reactions since that day four years ago, which is mind blowing to me. So I think we all have this inherent innate connection to our planet and to each other. And I just want to help people um, open up to themselves and understanding how they can uh, interact with that. And I think that's where we start to come together again and all these things happening around us. Um, can finally fall away and they never made sense to begin with um, that's it yeah. that's that's what I want to offer <laughs> that's amazing Shara you're such a beautiful soul I'm so so blessed to know I you, you. <laughs> I love you too and um, the craziness and our own reflection how we mirror things and all of that like I such a sacred connection I'm so honored that you came on the podcast today thank to you i'm honored to be invited always always oh yeah you're gonna be back for sure we're gonna we're gonna all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much if you guys want to know more about shara all her info is down below 
uh, I would highly suggest working with her. She's amazing. She's the only one that I go to for readings. I don't do anybody else. I ask her, so <laughs> I don't trust anyone else. Um, she's downright amazing. So I highly suggest working with her and yeah, stay tuned guys for another podcast. This is a great, great podcast. The podcast you don't want to hear. We're out. See you guys later. Bye.